Hello, freedom seekers, and welcome to the EPOP podcast, episode six of season three. Season three's theme is lifestyle freedom success. And today's episode is called Ask Us Anything About Lifestyle Freedom. So I had a really boring intro fact. I thought it was I thought you said it was a good one. No, hold on. I, I got to tell the story. I thought it was interesting, but it was about like commute times and what states have the longest commute times. So I thought it was interesting, but not that cool. And okay. then I ate some pizza today and I came up with a better fact. And that is what countries in the world eat the most pizza? I've got a list of top 10. So think about that. Lightning struck in an open plane. And we forgot this old city's name. See your breath on window pane. Let's just talk till it strikes again. On my way through, I saw you on my way. Okay, by the way, the state with the longest commute time, Maryland. Maryland. It's like Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, DC, New York. Wow. In in okay. maybe that exact order or close to that. Not as fascinating as mm -hmm. what countries and I have a list of the top ten. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not gonna make you maybe guess all ten, but just rattle off what you what do you think is number one? I feel like America is number one. America is number two. Okay, Canada. Canada is not on the list. Okay. But I, I have a few facts about some of the top ones okay. too. So America's number one. Or excuse no, me. Two. Uh, excuse me. Number two. Number two. The US, 93% of people have eaten pizza in the last month. And 13% <laughs> of Americans will eat pizza each day. Where are these statistics from? I mean, who's doing this poll? Doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, they're, I feel like they're specific enough that someone's doing a good job with it. Okay. Us. Uh, but 13% of Americans will eat pizza each day. You and I both had pizza today. So yeah. we're up in that average, baby. So the U.S. is number two. Okay. So number one is Italy. Italy is number five. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't think it was actually number one because they don't really eat as much pizza as Americans. I mean, what is the number one it's country? It's going to be very difficult to just, just start <laughs> rallying off some countries okay. you think might be. And I'll um, tell you if they're on here. The U.K., Number three, okay. third most popular flavor overall in the UK, this is pretty fascinating, is Hawaiian. Oh. I like a good Hawaiian pizza, yeah. but third most popular behind pepperoni and margarita is Hawaiian, which is, that's pretty crazy. Okay. Can you give me a hint as to what continent number one is on? Is it Europe? Is it's it Europe. South America? Okay. Um... That doesn't it's, really help I, no, me. No, <laughs> it doesn't. It's very, very hard. Here, I'll give you four through 10. Okay. So we said US is two, UK is three, fourth is Germany. Okay. Fifth is Italy. Surprisingly, Germany eats more pizza than Italy. Six is Russia, seven is France, eight is Australia, nine is Japan, which we, since we moved from Japan, they probably slipped some rankings because we'd eat pizza all the time. <laughs> and 10th is China. Number one, I'll give you a, I mean, I don't know how to give a hint without it without it giving way, and you would never guess this. And I have we been to this country? We have been to this country. Pizza would be very expensive in this country. Switzerland? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> what country is more expensive than Switzerland? There's probably one. The number one answer. Yeah, please just please. tell me. Okay. <laughs> You're really dragging this out. Norway. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess Norway is pretty pricey. Norway, the average Norwegian eats 11 pounds of pizza a year. Here's what? the thing. Here's the thing. Because it's so expensive, most of the time they don't get pizza out. They eat 47 million frozen pizzas a year, and 50% of them are one specific brand called Grandioso. So popular, in fact, that 20% of people consider Grandioso Pizza the unofficial national dish of Norway. You are joking. I, no joke. No joke. Did this you one, confirm this with Jason? I, you know, from that's zero what, to travel. Yeah, if you guys listen to Zero <laughs> to Travel, you know Jason's Norway. As soon as I saw this, I was like, 
I got to have him guess this list and see if, I mean, I'm sure he's at Grandioso. But um, anyway, there you go. And was this all in one article of oh, the yeah. far-reaching... Well, when I started coming on here to look at this, fa- to look at this fact of the average commute time, I had just eaten pizza. I said, "I wonder what the top ten countries for pizza are." And I googled it, and I found some good articles, and then I pulled from various sources different stats. Hmm. So there you have it. Um, all right, I wanted to have some fun there. Yeah, no, um, that was very enlightening. One of the things that we want to have fun with today is answering your questions. So we put this up on Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram and you have Instagram, where have you been? At Extra Pack of Peanuts, follow us on Instagram. And we asked, what were your questions about lifestyle freedom, about having a freedom lifestyle? And I, I, I use those interchangeable. Sometimes I say freedom lifestyle. Sometimes I say having lifestyle freedom. Same thing, right? Our whole goal is for to help you get to the triangle of freedom. That is location independence, time independence, and financial independence. So if you have those three freedoms, we believe you're at the triangle of freedom. And uh, our goal is to help people get there. We are very fortunate and blessed to have been able to get to that situation in our life ourselves. We've done a bunch of episodes about that. This is episode six. So really quickly, if you haven't listened to the other ones, you can go listen to them, but I'll, I'll go through these real quick, Kath, and then I'm turning it over to you to ask the questions. But episode one was our journey. So we recount our entire journey, 15, 20-year journey to get here, the highs, lows, and everything in between. That's a really fun one to, to kind of get an overall view of, of how we got here. Episode two was the biggest perks of lifestyle freedom, some you think about. Uh, exotic trips to the beach, some you might not think about. Um, episode three was the best lifestyle freedom trips we've taken. So these were formative trips that we've been able to take because we have this freedom in our lifestyle. Episode four was lifestyle freedom hotspots that we want to visit. And the last episode we just dropped yesterday, what does the future of freedom of lifestyle freedom hold for us and kind of society uh, in general. And then today we're going to talk about the Ask Us Anything. And then the next two days we'll have roundtable discussions with some other people who are part of our Paradise Pack project, which if you haven't checked that out, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise. But they recount their journeys to lifestyle freedom. And the cool part about that is everyone's journey looks different. Um, and so today we wanted to get to your questions. So, Heth, it's you. You're you're asking the questions. We're both answering the questions. Well, everyone else asked the questions. I am just reciting the questions. But the um, we have 12 questions here uh, from our Instagram poll and also from our post. I think that the kind of the same questions were on both spots of our social media poll. So, number one. And this has to do with being a family and being location independent. And the question is, what's the hardest part of being L.I. with children? And when people say L.I., that's our shorthand way of saying location independent, which now kind it means, you know, having lifestyle freedom because some people are location independent, but not time independent and not financially independent. Um, the hardest part of this with children I think for me, and this goes even back, like just of being an entrepreneur with children, is that sometimes it can be hard to draw a line in the sand of when you're working and when you're not. Um, This was especially hard the first couple years when we were, quote unquote, grinding more um, and when we didn't have as much of a balance and we've put some things in place to have that balance. But I when the kids were really young and even before we had kids, sometimes I had a hard time stopping working and, and not just stopping the physical act of working, but stopping my mind from constantly thinking about it too. So that was a bit of a struggle for me in the beginning. Well, what did you do to find some more balance? Like what strategies did you start using? I think one of the things is just being intentional on what you, what actually needs to get done, writing that out the night before, and then focusing on that when I did have the time so that instead of having this entrepreneur's guilt of, oh my gosh, I didn't get everything done. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I could go to the list that, that day, get done the things that really needed to happen. And if I didn't get done some things and they didn't really need to happen, I was okay with it because I'm like, okay, well, that can happen tomorrow. So just being aware of the things that you that you want to get done each day, prioritizing the ones that are most important, getting them done, and then saying, okay, it's fine if this other stuff goes till the next day. Yeah. And I, we were actually just talking a little bit about kind of finding, I don't know if balance is the right word, but along the whole 
thought process of always thinking about projects because we are entrepreneurial and we don't just have one business and we're always thinking of ways to kind of move forward and we don't really slow down when it comes to entrepreneurial opportunities. So we were just talking about this a little bit yesterday where you were saying that, you know, you had this feeling where you're always like thinking of new things to do and just a lot of your mindset and a lot of your energy goes into that and how you were saying that you were going to try to create more I guess intention with what you were going to be boundaries what you were going to be spending your time doing because when it overlaps into like basically every second of the day you're still thinking about doing all of those things it's on your mind even when you're with your family and it is really hard to shut it off especially if we're working on something bigger that we maybe haven't done before it happens to me as well where you're just like you really can't shut your mind off then you have trouble sleeping or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep that happens sometimes and then you know you don't have the energy necessarily to give the next day to be with your kids whereas before we had kids it didn't really matter right because we had our own time to recoup and we had our own lives I think it mattered but we just were also younger and we could kind of quote-unquote power through it whereas now it's you know if yeah you can't burn the candle at both ends as much with kids yeah um and I think this goes for people who aren't location independent and don't have freedom lifestyle. And we'll get to a question about the pros and cons of it. I mean, this is maybe the, the hardest part. You could have all this stress and feel this way and then not have the perks of, of being location independent and, and all that too. Because um, certainly regular, you know, quote unquote, people with regular jobs and typical salary jobs will have these types of stresses. Too. Yes, of course. Um, just the last thing I wanted to point on this is what's the hardest part of being location independent with children? I think the hardest part with doing it with children versus when we didn't have children is that you just, you don't feel driven and drawn to travel as much as you did before, yeah. which isn't necessarily a negative thing, but it's an adjustment because it then leads you to say, I have to feel comfortable not doing it. Certainly we know people who do travel as much, but as we've talked about throughout this whole season, episodes of life, this episode for, of life for us, thankfully we feel very content where we are, but it's uh, it can be an adjustment going from your default mode being like, well, where should I go next? To now your default mode being, okay, I'm, I'm focused more on having a home base. Yeah, I mean, it is just harder to travel with kids. So when you think about doing a trip, you have to really, you know, get yourself in that mindset of, okay, it's going to be harder. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. Then there's more logistics and then logistics when you arrive and there is a question coming up about, you know, how do you have someone watching your kids while you travel? Do you, why, bring don't, someone we, with why you? don't we just get to that question okay. now? Because that was going to be something that I was going to bring up that um, when we do travel with kids, this is now the difficult thing to this is yes. a, a big thing that we have to figure out. Right. But before I move on, I just have one other point with a hard part of being ally with children. And it's kind of a funny one, but it's because we get to work from home that sometimes it's harder because if our kids are also at home and we're at home working, even if they're with, you know, a nanny or a family member, you know, we're all in the same space. So if you can't get out and go to a co-working space, like during COVID, that wasn't a thing. Or if your kids are not in a physical school yet, um, that is it's challenges, but it's not the worst thing. You know, it, it's just, it's kind of hard to be all at home, yep. <laughs> which everybody in the world kind of knows now after the past two years. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the question was, do you have childcare that travels with you? If not, how do you work it out? The answer to that is most of the time, no, like we don't have a, a, no, sometimes we do, but there's nothing set where every time we go, we have the same person traveling with us. I wish that we could have that. Uh, financially, we just can't afford to have a full-time nanny come with us and, you know, pay for their trip as well. So what we do, and th this, this is still kind of new for us as well, because, um, we have two kids now and for a while with COVID, we weren't really traveling anywhere. And before COVID, when we took trips, we just had, you know, when Wit was young and then Hattie was like an infant, I was just not working as much when we traveled. So at that time of our lives, you know, we didn't need to have somebody with us. Now that they're getting older and they're not actually of school age yet, then this last two times that we were in Costa Rica ex for an extended period of time, 
We did some research before we went. We got into a local Facebook group and just tried to find babysitters or did research before we went for people on the ground when we got there. And so I know that that might make some people uncomfortable. Even my mother was like, you're just going to find somebody on Facebook to watch your children. <laughs> and, and we obviously vetted them, interviewed them, uh, you know, went with a proven company yes. versus like an individual. I mean, an individual ran it and we met her, but- you know, she, it was like a legit business, um, you know, with reviews and recommendations. And so, you know, you can find people to watch your children who are local to the country that you're going to, you know, if you feel comfortable doing that and there is some system in place, like this person owned, um, and it's actually Yuri of Sunshine Babysitting. If you go to Tamarindo in Costa Rica, you can find them on Facebook. She's amazing. And she has a lot of really talented women working for her to watch the kids. And we felt completely comfortable leaving our kids with them. And some of the time, you know, especially the first couple of times, you can just have them watch them at your apartment, you know, so that they're and, not and while going, you're, yeah, you while, you're while you're there. So, like you know, it's just like finding a nanny anywhere you live or a babysitter anywhere you live. It comes off of a recommendation and maybe the first time you kind of hang out with them and see how you feel about somebody before you entrust um, your children yeah. into their care. And, and the other thing we do, so that's like, there's kind of a two-pronged approach. Well, three. One is... Sometimes we don't have anyone with us. That makes it difficult, especially if we're going somewhere for a longer period and we have to work. Two, you can hire nannies there. Three, we sometimes have family members travel with us. Uh, my parents, your sister, my sister, your mom. Like they're, we, we are pulling from a menagerie of people who want to spend time with our children, thankfully. And so we have done trips with other people or trips to see people. That's another thing. Sometimes, you know, our trips now are to like go see your mom so we know you know, when we're there, we're going to have help. And so that's, but it is something to consider. So no, we do not have a full-time nanny who then travels with us that we know it's built in. So we're, we're kind of piecemealing it together with different trips. Right. And another thing that goes right into this question, which is when you're location independent or when you're traveling, I assume, do you stick to a firm, firm work schedule or work when you need to and have the time? Another thing that we do when we're actually traveling is we try to work less. So we try to batch our work a lot and, and get everything big project wise taken care of before we leave on a trip so that when we're traveling, we're working a lot less. Now, of course, there are still things that we have to do, but because we've planned this and we're intentional about it when we are traveling, we're not working all day long. So some of us can, one of us, Travis or myself can be with the kids and make it work out a little bit easier for our schedules. Yeah. It's, I think the easiest way to go about it. I mean, you have to be flexible, but I think one of the easiest ways to go about it is to try to stick to somewhat of a firm schedule. One thing we did notice though, is that when we're traveling, and, and this depends on the type of trip you're taking, whether it's a vacation or whether you're, you know, you're going for three months and you have to work, is that I might not stick to the same schedule that I stick to at home, meaning nine to one, nine to two, something like that. I think depending on where you are, even if you're trying to stick to a firmer schedule, your schedule may differ from at home, but I like to at least get into a schedule with the rhythm of the place I'm at. So for example, in Costa Rica, you know, if I knew I wanted to surf in the morning, well, I might not start work at nine because I'd want to go surf from eight to 10. So my schedule might change to 11 to two, but I do, I personally try to stick to a firmer schedule because I know best when I like to work. And that is mid morning through early afternoon. So again, depending on the work you're doing, if, if you have to be on calls and you're in Thailand and you're going or Japan or something, you're going with US-based work, well, then you're going to have to be up in the middle of the night because we're very flexible and we have that time freedom like we talk about. I always usually work best in that like nine to two, nine to three range. I don't like working late at night. I don't work like working in the morning. So that might flex a bit when we're traveling, but I work better when I know, okay, this is when I'm going to try to consistently work, especially if we're somewhere longer term. Yeah. And so that's a little bit, we kind of answered that question in a travel related way, but just as entrepreneurs and, you know, working from home and working for ourselves, we also have strategies in place so that we can feel productive and not get overwhelmed. And Trav has really 
I feel like mastered this and you've helped me because I will be like, sometimes I'll wake up and I'll feel really overwhelmed about what I have to do. And then it's hard for me to actually do anything because I just feel like, where do I start? So what are some tips that you have and that you've told me in the past that really helped Yeah, that's this? a good point. I was answering it like when I was traveling, but if we're just talking about being home and being location dependent, I, this, I struggled with this big time with having time freedom when we first started essentially because I was striving so hard to get out of the nine to five and my nine to five was really seven to three because I was a high school teacher. I was striving so hard to get out of that. And I've told the story before of like how happy I was to, to go to the dentist at 1 PM and be outside during the day that I wanted nothing more than just to like not work during those hours. That's what I thought success was. What I realized was I actually do want to work during those hours. I don't want to work at seven and I don't want to work to three, but I really like working in that nine to one range. And so I have, you know, in the beginning, anytime anyone would ask to do something, hey, Trev, you want to go to lunch? Whether it be you or other friends who were off work or whatever. Yeah, you know, sometimes it was to socialize and sometimes it was, oh, hey, can you go let my dog out? Or hey, can you help me with this? <laughs> yeah, we were task. basically yes, we yes men boundaries. and yes women yeah. to, to everyone because we were like, well, we can, we can, and, and we could. But what we realized is that wasn't sustainable because it gave us that guilt at the end of the night that we talked about, that entrepreneur's guilt of I haven't done enough. And so for me, I built a pretty strict wall around my nine to one now. Um, kids go to school at nine, they come back from one. That's not to say I won't go and go for a run on the beach or something like that, but I'm not... I'm usually telling, other, I'm not letting other people's schedules inflict with conflict with my nine to one usually unless it's really doing a favor for someone. So I'm acting as if, and I and we do, both of us, have regular jobs. Like you wouldn't ask a normal person who's at their nine to five to just go and do anything for you in the middle of their day because it would be a, a be tough for them to do so i basically put a wall around my nine to one nine to two um and get done what i need to do whether that's work whether that's workout whatever but i i try to keep that as like quote unquote sacred space for for me and you you're starting to do that too a bit yeah well because this is the first year since we've had kids that they are in a preschool and daycare situation so every day they go to school from nine to one. And so that's given me the structure to be able to say, hey, this is my sacred work time too, or even sometimes it's just personal time, but most of the time it's work time. Um, and so before that, you know, when we had family members watching the kids or whatever, it was kind of just like more flexible and we weren't sure when it was always happening or whatever. So then when we decided to put some structure and schedule into the kids' lives and then our lives as well, that really helped us to be more productive. And then just really quickly, Trav, can you just give a couple more tips? Like, for example, you mentioned earlier how you make a list at night for what you need to accomplish tomorrow, like some really kind of concrete things just help you to be more productive and successful when you don't have a boss telling you exactly what needs to you need to do it because there are people out there who struggle with that. Uh, that was like deadlines. The, the, I need a deadline. <laughs> yeah. The time freedom was my biggest struggle. Like all of a sudden someone wasn't telling me I had to be there at a certain time and stop at a certain time. So I was struggling on both ends. I didn't want to be there during the day because I was fighting against it, but I also couldn't stop. So putting that in was huge. So I would, I would urge people to set whenever time works best for you and, and make that sacred space um, and have limited flexibility with, with that, if possible. The other thing I love to do is make my list the night before. Some people like making it when they wake up. I don't because this helps me shut my mind off because I know that if I've written it down and I've made the list, and I, I would urge you to because I've started to do this even more, order it in order of priority. Like before mm -hmm. I would just make a list and then I'd, I'd wake up, I'd be like, and the first thing on the list wouldn't be the most important. And I'd kind of see it first and be like, well, I shouldn't do it. So like make the list and prioritize it ahead of time. I like to do it the night before. Some people like to do it the morning of. That doesn't work for me. So I, I enjoy that. And then I know when my nine to one comes, okay, boom, boom, boom. Here are the things that I have to focus on. And uh, it doesn't mean I'm always perfect with it, but it's certainly 80, 90% of the time being good with that and having focus. Um, is way better than what it looked like when we first started out, where it was yeah. just like completely, I don't know what I'm going to do today. What time am I, when am I going to work? What am I going to work on? And it was like, uh, mentally, I was all over the place. Yeah, so kind of to sum that up, you can have flexibility and you can choose what works for you, but you still need to have some type of structure in order to move things forward and be productive. So I would actually say one thing I wanted to, that I've learned is that structure 
structure leads to spontaneity. People are like, wait, that aren't those two diametrically opposed? I would say not at all. When you have structure in your time, and for me, it's like nine to one, that means that outside of that, I feel comfortable being spontaneous and taking on whatever comes comes at me, whether that be go, taking the kids somewhere special or a friend's like, do you want to meet up? Or I'm in town, you know? I know now that I don't have to feel guilty for adding all those other things in because I've added, I've put structure in. And so to me, structure leads to fun spontaneity because yeah. you're not fighting that constant battle in your head. Right. And that makes sense. And and I just also want to clarify that when you say nine to one, it's not very often that you're actually just like, oh, I'm done for the day at one. You then maybe spend time doing other things or other work related things that aren't necessarily like a concrete priority. Nine to one is like my almost my non-negotiable time and I can finish most of the stuff. There is times, especially like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk on the beach and I'm going to have a phone call with someone. But nine to one is like my time Mm -hmm. to do the things that I need space and time to do, to create stuff, to to think big picture stuff, to even just sometimes get housekeeping stuff done um, in the business. The rest of the time, if I'm working, I like it to be connection time, right, outside of that. Um, the next question we got, and I think this kind of lends itself to happen, to talking about right now, is pros and cons of living this lifestyle with kids. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in a previous episode. I'm not sure which one exactly it was, but, you know, having the flexibility to take our kids to school and pick them up from school. Not that we do that every day because sometimes, you know, our nanny does that or a family member now that our sister, my sister is down here in North Carolina, you know, like today actually she picked up the kids for us, but we have that flexibility to easily say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to drive them to school today. Oh, they have a field trip. Sure. No problem. I can make it because I don't have to go to a higher up authority and clear it with them and then feel guilty that I'm missing something because we are in control of our own schedules. And so to me, that's the biggest pro, I think, um, being able to have so much family time that we wouldn't normally be able to have. I'm going to say something controversial here. I think that having this lifestyle is better with kids and more important when you have kids than even when you don't. And when you don't have kids, yes, you by default have more freedom, meaning, you know, if you have this lifestyle without kids, you can hop on a plane to Italy last minute because you got a $125 mistake fare like we have done. And it's awesome. So I'm not saying it's not worthwhile shooting for this life without kids. It is 1 million percent worthwhile. But I would say it's 1 million and 1% worthwhile with kids simply because there's a lot, because you just value spending time with your kids. I was listening to a friend of mine. He gave me a really kind of, quote that hit me it wasn't even a quote he just said we have 18 summers with our kids you know essentially when they're 18 they're, they're going to be out and of course you'll see them again but they're like out of the house like you only have 18 summers to spend with your kids and it was like whoa that i mean our son is four and a half we're like whoa okay this is going to fly by and so every moment that you can get to spend more time with your kids and and just do the little things. And, and the one that you just talked about that we've talked about in the other podcast, that, that is a real life example. is just like getting to drop my kids off at school and pick them up and not rushing them to school and rushing them home and, and all that. Like I see other parents, that is invaluable. So yeah, I think that just speaks, speaks volume. The, the cons of, of this lifestyle with kids are very little because essentially you're having the freedom to make the decisions that you want to make. And so the only, that would go back to the question we asked or answered earlier. What's the hardest part of being ally with children? Kind of those things we talked about was, you know, being cognizant of, of your business and setting boundaries around when you're working and when you're not, because I think it's easy to overwork when it's your own stuff. And I think there's probably more pressure once you have a family to be successful because you now have other people you're responsible for and for their future. And you want to make sure that you're successful, which of course you probably feel that way before you have kids, but you know, it just is amplified. Yeah. It's amplified a little bit more when, when you have that. So I feel like, you might feel a little more pressure in that regard. But 
Another thing I just want to hit home about being able to spend time with your kids is one of my oldest friends from childhood. She's 10 years older than me. And so she had kids before me. And so I think she's a wonderful mom. And one of the things that she said to me was that she always wanted to, if possible, pick her kids up from school, even though they could take the bus, but she's like in that minute they get in the car, you know, school is still fresh in their mind and they might still be willing to talk to me about their day. Whereas when they go on the bus and they've spent 30 minutes or an hour, you know, coming home from school. I mean, Heather lived rural. So some of those bus rides were like a long, long time. My friend, this is my friend Ruthie that I'm talking about. And she actually was, and is still an entrepreneur. Um, You know, she had her own small business in the town where I grew up and she said, you know, by the time they get home from the bus, like school is not really in their mind as much anymore. And they're not as willing to talk to me. I notice a big change. And so I'm not saying that we're always going to pick our kids up forever and ever, even into high school. But from a lot of the books that we've read about raising kids, a lot of it has to do with connection and being there for your kids and connecting with your kids so that they feel like you're the one that they come to when they have problems or when they want to talk about things. And so that's always something that I remembered she said and has stuck with me that, you know, we want to raise kids that are well adjusted and, you know, that we have a relationship with. And so I think that that's something that's really important to us. Um, The next question is on this line of uh, as well. And I think this is the last one about having children. Um, but are you planning on homeschooling or continuing to be location independent? So we, we touched on this in, um, in episode, uh, the last one, I think. Yeah. In episode five, what does the future hold for us was the big one. We touched upon this. So we'll just kind of run over our plan here, but, um, okay. Right. Are we planning on homeschooling? The answer to that is no. Like as far as, as far as are we, are we saying we're going to homeschool our kids for forever? The answer is no. Uh, would we feasibly homeschool them? Kindergarten, first grade, some of those early grades. Yeah, maybe, maybe to some degree or work with other parents who are here. But I mean, we're not, we're certainly not the point that's the the people that are like, we have to homeschool our kids. We're totally fine if they go to a regular school. Um, one of the reasons we like the lifestyle that we have here is that if we ended up spending nine months a year here, which was during their school year, it wouldn't be so bad because we're in a place that we really like, which is at the beach here. So um, this question is one of those where I feel like, again, this comes back to the idea of freedom. When you get to call the shots because you have location, time, and financial freedom, you roll with what feels good at that time. And, and that's not to say you don't put any thought into it. We've been thinking about it a lot, but you also are able to be flexible based on how the kids progress and what they need as well. And, you know, when they get to a certain age, you will be asking them what they want to do and be taking that into account. I'm not saying we would do whatever they said, but I like the idea that you can be flexible with this and say, oh, okay, we're thinking about doing a six month sabbatical. Like this is what it would look like. We'd have, to, you'd still have to do school. Here's how it would work do you guys want to do that? You know, I'm talking about when they're maybe like 10 and 12 and can have some fully formed opinions about. Yeah. But for us, no, we don't, Travis and I do not want to be the ones teaching our children. Um, especially at this point in time when we have other work that we need to be doing. So the plan is that Wit, when he starts kindergarten in a year and a half, that he will go to the physical kindergarten, the elementary school, um, here where we live. And, you know, we enjoy being here. So he will be in in school and we'll see how it goes and we'll be open-minded to change. But then, yeah, we still have the summers where we can go somewhere, even if we go somewhere for two months and stay in one place and get a a bit of travel in during that time. I said this during the last episode. I think this sums it up well. Uh, The kids will probably go to the regular school here for right now. We We will travel quite a bit during the summer because... One, it gets really pretty packed at the beaches here in the summer and and fairly hot. I mean, enjoyable, but hot. Two, we also can rent this house out that we're in and and make some good money. So we'll probably do that for the next little bit. We might not always do it. But the the plan then, too, is like, okay, they're going to be in the school, but we have to figure out a way to talk the regular elementary school into allowing <laughs> us to take them out for six weeks in the winter after Christmas so that we can go somewhere warmer. Yeah. And as long as we can do that, then that'll probably be the, the working plan for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah, we'll see. You know, 
We'll see what happens. All right. So the next question is more of a logistical question, and that is, what do we do for health insurance? This is tough because health insurance is not an easy... Well, if you're U.S.-based, it's certainly, they like to make everything difficult. And as entrepreneurs, you know, it's very expensive and somewhat challenging to find something that works. Yeah. I mean, what we do for health insurance is the same as anyone who doesn't have a job that, um, that gives them health insurance with a little bit of a caveat. So we get and, and find the best health insurance that works for us. We right now use a program called MediShare. Um, I won't get into everything about MediShare, but it, it's, it's not, it's recognized as insurance, but it's a medical sharing program. It just worked for us the best. You can look into it. Um, we, there are pros and cons to it. There are things we've liked about it. There are things we haven't liked about it. Same as probably any insurance company, but we go and find typical U S based health insurance that gives us the best rates and has the coverage that we need. So again, not getting into the weeds of deductibles and things like that, because that will vary between person and person. The other thing where I said there's a bit of a caveat to this is if we were to travel out of the U.S., so we will always probably have that and probably always need that as long as we're based in the U.S. for a large chunk right. of the year, which is the ongoing plan. On top of that, though, you do want to make sure that you're looking at travel insurance, whether that means you're just taking a trip or whether that means you're someone who's saying, I'm going to spend three, four, five, six, twelve. 12, you know, if you're, of course, if you're spending 12 months out of the country, then you'll need that as well. So there are a few ones that I recommend looking into. World Nomads is one we have used before. Um, it's more based towards people who are taking trips, even if those are extended trips or shorter trips. There's another one that's pretty cool called Safety Wing. And Safety Wing is more geared towards people who are digital nomads who are looking to spend a a lot of time abroad. So they still will do stuff with trips, but it's more geared towards, okay, your lifestyle is one where you are traveling a lot and you don't always know where you're going and you're not taking kind of these structured trips. We got you. So depending on which one you're looking at, World Nomads, more trip-based, Safety Wing, more like fluid if you have a digital nomad lifestyle. But I would look at those two in addition to your country's health insurance, which if you're in the U.S. means you're going to be paying out of pocket and you just have to find the best one. If you're in other countries, you might get that as part of what you pay taxes towards. Great. So, that go. sums up a, a, a boring topic, I think, <laughs> fairly well. Um, but it is something that you really want to consider because it, it, it's a, it is a consideration for people leaving their job, for sure. And, and one last thing I want to mention, budget that in. Like, I mean, you know, we're paying for a family of four, for kind of a, what I would call a regular plan, we're paying $900 a month. And, uh, you know, that's a big expense if if your insurance, if your company's been paying that fully. Yeah. And, you know, then we have to meet a deductible on top of that. So we're paying out of pocket for a lot of the year, (laughs) unless something big comes up. Um, The next question I wanted to get to was this one, because I thought this was a really good question. Do you ever have backup plans when you're on an location independent trip and things don't go as planned uh yes and no i think (laughs) i mean uh, a vague formation of a plan maybe a set in stone plan yeah well i mean we've never had a trip where things were so terrible that we felt like we had to like get out of the country for one reason or another. Unfortunately, that we've never been in that type of position. I mean, we have left quickly. If you listen to our one episode, uh, episode one or three, where we did leave the next day to leave Bali, but we didn't have to get out. No. We just wanted to go home for Christmas. Right. And then so we, we have found, done yeah, we pivots, found a, 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 a ticket like the next day. So that's just when we happened to leave. But yeah, I think... Because we know that we have miles, points, or that we have the money that we can book a ticket if something happens to leave or go somewhere else, I have never, ever been concerned um, about something going horribly wrong on a trip. I will give an example. When we went to Costa Rica in 2021 and we were still in like the throes of the pandemic and there were no vaccinations yet, and that was the first trip we had taken since the pandemic started, you know, I was a little nervous about going on that trip because of COVID. And I was like, okay, I think I'm willing to take the flight to Costa Rica and then take the flight back. And I don't want to go anywhere else and take lots and lots of flights and bump around. And 
we, our backup plan was basically, well, what happens if we get COVID while we are in Costa Rica? Or what happens if the borders close right. and we have to stay there? So before that trip, we did actually think uh, we we were planning on going for a month. We ended up staying for three, which was awesome. But we actually asked the question, okay, we need to travel to a place where we feel comfortable enough that if we go and our plan is a month and we get stuck there for who knows how long that we will be okay with that country. And that's actually why we ended up in Tamarindo in Costa Rica, because it was the most kind of touristed, expatty, convenient with the kids spot versus maybe somewhere that was a little more off the beaten path because we thought, hey, this could be okay for a little bit. If we get stuck here, we, we yep. don't want to be stuck here for an extended right. period. Or if we get sick here, we know that there are good hospitals or that, you know, people will speak English. And we that was important to both of us, but especially to me, because I was a little worried, you know, what if we get sick or the kids get sick because we're in this pandemic? I want to be able to go somewhere where it's easy and there are good hospitals. And so, yeah, we, we've definitely thought about those things. And with kids, we think of, through it more, for sure. Like I would say, even I am much less super spontaneous let's like i'll give you an example when when we were originally getting in this lifestyle our very first trip we didn't even book, book i didn't want to book any accommodations ahead i wanted to get there and feel it out <laughs> i hated this and figure out where yeah, to stay and I be mean, on the ground and get a deal and finally it, we compromised at least and we said that we would always book at least the first night of accommodation so you had somewhere to go upon arrival because we learned the hard way well we compromised because it was 2 a.m in bali and we were on the back of a motorbike in, in a pouring rain. rainstorm with a guy trying to find a place and we ended up at a place that would have cost us way more than if we had booked ahead anyway and we said okay well i said i should relent let's at least do one night but now now for example i wouldn't even want to do one night i'd want to book let's say we we're going somewhere for a month i'd want to book at least three four five nights and say we at least have a place when we get there yeah that we can settle into a little bit yeah and and really our our styles have completely changed because now we really like to have most of a trip completely planned out before we go um whereas before yeah, we would just arrive and be like, okay, now what are we doing? Where are we going? What city are we going to go to next? You know, we were very, very fly by the seat of our pants. And I, one thing I would say um, with this, with being location independent and and the and having this freedom lifestyle, the point is that we're we're also still working. You guys all know that, right? We're recording podcasts, we're we're doing workshops, we're doing our coaching, all this stuff, and so that's the difference between a vacation and and a trip like this and so to this question of do you ever have backup plans one of the biggest things is making sure the wi-fi is okay to get work done and usually what we try to do is ask is the wi-fi good but listen everyone will tell you it's good even if you ask them like send us a screenshot of the speed test like it'll somehow i mean <laughs> whatever case in point when we went to costa rica on that 2021 trip and we knew we'd be there for a month and i knew i had a big launch coming i was running all these seven day challenges i knew i needed great wi-fi we got there we booked a place that had three bedrooms because we knew we needed a bedroom for us a bedroom for the kids and an office well the office the wi-fi didn't work at all in the whole apartment all and we never used it so we never touched that third bedroom even in the apartment it didn't work well at all and all the co-working spaces had closed down because it was during covid and so i ended up finding one co-working space that was really just more individual offices and begging and pleading with them to give me an office for a week at least while i knew i had to do all these zoom meetings and stuff and so it worked out but that was that was a time when like here's the plan here's the backup plan well none of these work okay now i gotta scramble so you know, if you're working from the road, you try to have a backup plan for, okay, if the internet isn't great at the place I arrive, what's my backup plan? Now that stuff's opening up more, are there co-working spaces? Are there cafes? Are there things like that? Um, that's that's just one of those logistical things that if it, it if you get there and you like think, I have this big project I'm doing and I have to be on the internet, it has to work the day I arrive. Well, listen, depending on where you're going, uh, you could be in for a surprise. Yeah. So now let's move on to the types of questions that are really just about our LI careers and how we started, because there were a lot of people asking the same question, which the biggest one was, how did you figure out what type of business to start? Yeah, for me, this is the long and winding road. Um, that's the question that most people ask, where do I start? 
And I actually just got done doing an awesome workshop uh, for Erica and the people over at the, the Nomadic Network on this. And the thing I will tell everyone is that I am not going to read you a laundry list of the 11 best careers to start to become <laughs> location independent because when you read those articles and, you know, and all this, they they don't, I, I don't know what your personality is like, the person that's listening, you that's listening. Uh, you know, they are an okay starting point just to, just to um, get an idea of things you could do. But, the point of it is that those don't give you anything to go on. The thing that I will I would tell you to do first, and the thing that we do differently when we teach this, is we don't teach you how to build an online business. There are a lot of people out there who teach you how to build an online business, and that's great, and they're awesome at it. If you've ever read an article about how to do an online business or taken a course or listen to a podcast or read a blog, there's a lot of good advice there. But here's where here's where they miss the boat. It's one thing to teach someone how to build an online business. It's a completely different thing to teach someone how to build a lifestyle. And I want you to think of it as like two bubbles. So the first bubble, okay, for what most people do is a business, right? It's this big circle and they teach you how to build a business and then draw like a little line around that. Like that gives you like a half inch buffer, right? And in that buffer, they want you to then figure out how to lead your lifestyle around the business you created. Instead, what I want you to do is draw that big old circle and write lifestyle. And then with that one inch buffer and draw the other circle around, put the business around it. I want you to think about the lifestyle you want. And from there, figure out the business that you can create that lets you lead that lifestyle versus trying to figure out the business and then trying to shoehorn the lifestyle you want around it. For example, a lot of people come to me and they're like, Trav, I've heard it's awesome to sell on Amazon. And you know, I'm just going to start selling stuff on Amazon. I know of cousins, friends, uncles, brother who makes a million dollars a week selling stuff on Amazon. And I'm like, okay, cool. There are a lot of people I know that sell stuff on Amazon and build businesses around Amazon that, that do very well. But do you want to sit there and source products for 15 hours a day in front of your computer trying to find stuff that's cheap at Target that then you can resell on Amazon? Does that light you up? Do you like sitting in front of your computer? Does selling products that you don't care about more higher priced at Amazon, is that the type of lifestyle you want? Is that Does that fire you up? Does it um, you know, fit in the things that you want to be, the impact you want to have with your life? All those kind of questions. For some people, the answer is yes. For other people, like, oh no, actually, like, I'm super extroverted. I wouldn't want to sit in front of my computer and source products from Target all day. Say, okay, well, then it could make you a million bucks, but what does that mean? You're now trading a regular nine to five that you might not hate for something you might hate more. And so, Figuring out what type of business to start is a very personal thing, but start with that and do an exercise where you sketch out what your perfect average day looks like and then say, what type of work would you be doing in your perfect average day? For me, it's forward facing things, recording podcasts with you, Heth, doing workshops, you know, like that type of work is what I like. I don't like sitting and coding, so I'm not going to do a business as that. Yeah. Can you tell that Trav gets really fired up about this topic? And, you know, I think with the Lifestyle Launch Academy that you do over at Location Indie, you know, this is part of that process. And I think what makes it so special is that it is more personalized. It's not just, hey, here's your answer. Do this, do that, do, be a freelancer. It's more about you as a person. What do you want to be doing when Trav talks about creating your perfect average day? I mean, that's a whole concept and a whole exercise to get you thinking about what do you want your life to look like? Do you and like then, working alone? Do you like working with others, right? What are you passionate about? And then trying to build your business around that because, you know, you can become an entrepreneur at something like, say you are a graphic designer. Well, you can start your own freelance company as a graphic designer, but what if that's not really what excites you? What if that's not really what you're passionate about? Yes, you have a skill, but if you kind of figure out and hone what you want your life to look at, then maybe you can think of something that you would be doing that you're really passionate about because then you're going to keep moving forward with that. If you're not passionate about it, it's just going to fizzle out. One thing I want people to, I want to warn people about when it comes to that though, and this idea of passion, because I think passion is, is good, but it's also misunderstood sometimes too, is a lot of times people will come and say, um, I'll give you an example. Shannon came to us, right? And she's like, all right, I'm interior designer, mm -hmm. but I, I hate interior design. I want to start a shop where I sell sustainable plastic, eco-friendly mm -hmm. travel plastic right. wear. And I was like, okay, 
not going to tell you not to do that, Shannon, but let's think about that. Like, yes, that sounds good, but here's all the things that would go into that business. Do you know how to do this, 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 mm-hmm. this, 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 you know, and we were talking through it and, and all, and there was like a lot of stuff that like, she was like, yeah, I wouldn't actually really like to do the net nitty gritty of that. Right. I just, I like the overall vision of it. Right. And I said, okay, and here's an exercise I want everyone to do. Cause I want to give you some concrete things to do. Even if you never join our lifestyle launch Academy and we never work in, in group coaching and helping you figure this out, you can do some of this on your own. I want you to look at what you do right now for your job. I want you to make two columns. I want you the thing. I want you to write the things that you like about your job, and I want you to write the things that you don't like about your job. When I did this with Shannon, it was crazy and eye-opening because she said, "She said to me, I hate interior design. I don't want to do it." What she found is she actually liked interior design and that work. What she hated was going into an office, working for a big company that whose morals and ethics weren't aligned with hers. Some of the bosses that she had, you know, the the she didn't like wearing like professional clothing. She really hated her big thing was that she had to go in the office because she wanted to live van life. And so we started stripping away like, what do you like? What do you not like? I realized what she liked was all the things she went to school for, for using her skills. Like typically if you you've worked your way up in a company and whether it be interior design like her or anything like that, you probably like that process. You just don't like the external things you're doing with your job. And so I said to her, well, if you could do interior design for eco-friendly small businesses who are in the travel space, would you actually like interior design? She's like, yeah, I really would. I just don't like doing it for the people I'm doing it for. And so that might be you as well. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Think, okay, because I hate my current. It's <laughs> an interesting thing. Well, because I hate my yeah. current situation sure. that you actually hate what you do. It might be you hate who you do it for, how you're doing it, the hours you're working, locations you're in, whatever. Um, right. Of course. And you do have to have a skill level in order to <laughs> create a job. So, of course, you need to to do something that you're actually good at. Yeah, I've just found a lot of people have skills that they don't even give credit and credence to. And that'd be another exercise to do. Write down three things that people always ask you for help with. And you might write them down and be like, oh, I actually, like for me, I, I realize that people were asking me for help with frequent flyer miles. Did I think that was a career? No, <laughs> but did we turn it into a career? Yes. And so um, that's another thing to think about. Uh, the next question, yeah. go ahead, read this out because I think this goes on to that. Any tips for finding an LI career where you don't have to start your own business or freelance? So we've already touched on this, you know, where we went really in depth with that last question. Yeah. Heather gave me the II captain when I said, go (laughs) ahead and read that out. She saluted me. I wasn't trying to be aggressive. I just get very excited and animated. Um, One thing I wanted to touch on this because we said where we don't have to start your own biz or your own freelancing. A lot of people get scared of like of saying I'm going to start my own business because they're used to being an employee and not an entrepreneur. I would just I would just urge you to think a little bit and say like a business doesn't have to be scary. Like you can take a skill that you already have. You can quote unquote freelance it. You can have your own business, but it might still be doing the same work that you're already doing. It might even this is crazy, be working for the same company that you're working for, but as a consultant. So there's a lot of ways that you can find a career that isn't starting something from scratch. Um, If you don't even want to go that route, then I would definitely look at remote job boards. If you're like, hey, I just want to work for a company. I don't even want to be consultant. I just, I want a nine, like typical nine to five and a salary and everything that comes with it. Then definitely there are plenty of places with remote job boards you can look at and obviously they were just becoming more and more prevalent because uh because of covid and and people realizing that they want that freedom yeah then the next question is what was our decision making making process like for leaving teaching to be location independent well we asked ourselves this question we were three years into kind of the teaching career and it was like can i do this for 30 years and the answer was a resounding no. Um, I wish I had an answer of I made this decision really practically, but essentially what happened was I knew I couldn't do it for 30 years. I personally decided to go back to school. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't go back to school. I would build a side hustle. But I went back to school because that's what I thought I had to do. And I said, if I can get a scholarship that pays for my schooling, I feel okay leaving a career because I'm, I'm not making money, but it's getting paid for. What I would do nowadays 
is I would say, and we did this actually when we were in Japan. Yeah. Well, we you did start a side hustle then. So when you went back to grad school, that was in 2008, I 2008. think. 2008. Yeah. And then in 2010 is when we moved to Japan to start teaching English there. And while we were in Japan is when you started the Extra Pack of Peanuts website. blog website. Yep. And that, you're right, that was the decision-making process because we were still teaching and it basically came down to this. I can't see myself doing this forever. We tell more about our journey in episode one, so you can listen to that. I got to figure out a way to make it work. What do people ask me for help with? Okay, frequent flyer miles. What am I passionate about? Travel and frequent flyer miles. Is there any possible way to monetize this? What I would urge people to do there is then look, no matter what you're talking about, look for anyone out there that's making money in that space. Are people making money off their blogs? Etsy, are there any books out there and start modeling off of them? When I started, there was very few people making money off it, but the people who were were making money off it with blogs that then helped people pick the right credit cards. And so that's what I started. Someone else was doing it. And I said, oh, if someone else is, can do it, so can I. So it's a technique we call modeling. And it's just like, look for people doing it. I'll give you an example of a, of a guy named Justin. Um, Justin wanted to make money doing pet portraits. And he was like, well, I can't make any money making pet portraits. I just make friends and I just have friends and family do it. I can't make this a career. And I said, okay, well, I don't know where to look, but where where would you look if someone was like killing it with pet portraits? He's like, <laughs> probably on Etsy. I'm like, go find someone on Etsy who, who you can tell because of the amount of reviews and stuff that they have that they were like getting a ton of orders. And he was like, okay, he came back. He's like, there are multiple people who I know are making full-time careers out of this just because of the amount of reviews and the orders they have. Okay, they're doing it, so you can too. So now model off of what they're doing. How could you do what you do and follow their lead? And so- um, Yeah, it doesn't give you all the answers, but it gives you a path forward and it gives you a plan. And that's the hardest part is starting. And then, you know, as you've learned from listening to our journey, it wasn't just a straight and narrow path. It was windy and had its ups and downs. But if you can just start and if you can just begin and then get some momentum- and have a plan and know that this plan has worked for other people, well, there's value to that. Totally. So we're kind of winding down now. We have a few more questions left. And one of them is anything that we miss about the nine to five life? I want you to answer this first because I, mean, I, I. No, not at all. There, I mean, in the beginning, I would have said maybe job security, I guess, which would not even job security because you don't have job security because you could get fired or laid off or whatever, but I guess like a steady income. But for me, I've always felt and always believed in what we were doing. And I've always felt that it would be successful enough for us. Now success looks different for everyone, right? But for us to achieve the lifestyle that we wanted, I never really doubted that process. So for Heather, me, Heather, Heather, I, I did. I, yes. I, I knew I wanted. To, I knew I wanted to make it work. I. There were a lot of times in the first couple of years where, if I was answering this question, the big answer would be money. Like yeah. I just, I, I was like, am I going to, am I going to make enough? And you know, like Heather mentioned, you can always get laid off. You can always get fired. But there are jobs, and being a teacher, yeah. you know, I was. It was pretty stable. Um, but that's the thing too. Trav would get so worked up. I'm like, oh, we're failing or I'm failing. And what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, we'll go back and get a real job. I mean, we can always find employment, hopefully, you know, doing something for someone somewhere out there for a company. But Tim Ferriss has an exercise that I did when I was first starting out. And I would, I keep saying I would urge people to do it, but this is a little bit of like, if you don't come and join our coaching program, here's a lot of the stuff we do. So take this and run with it, please. Um, it's like a, I forget what he calls it, but it's like fear setting. And it's honest, it's saying like, what is the worst possible thing that will happen if I do this? And for, for, uh, and you know, of course it always comes down to death. Like, I guess you could spin anything if you're super more like I could die doing this, but really Heather was like, well, what's okay. So we don't make a lot of money right now. Could you go back and get another job? Even if it was substitute teaching, like, could you get a substitute teaching job? Yes. Okay. Well, what would that look like? All right. It would look like a hundred dollars a day. You know, I said, okay, what would that mean? You know, what would that mean for our life? So really mm -hmm. think it out. Like what's the worst case scenario of you leaving your job and then having to go back to another job? Maybe it's a few rungs down the ladder. Maybe it's making less money. Maybe it's working for a company that isn't as good. 
whatever. But like, if that's the worst case, okay, now you at least know that. Okay, flip it and say, well, if I make it and I am successful, what's the best case? What does my dream lifestyle look like? Okay, and then you just ask yourself a simple question. Is it worth possibly going back to that worst case scenario in order to get to your dream lifestyle? And if it is, then go for it. And, you know, the chances are that, you know, there's a, probably a 5% chance you go to that worst case scenario. So, I mean, it's like, it, it makes them, it makes it almost a no brainer if you're thinking through it logically. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's easy when you're doing it no. and you're making not as much as you want to make. Of course. And then we even had like a backup backup plan, which was before we would even probably go back and get a job with a company. It was like, well, our worst case scenario could be that, you know, we're only making a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a month. And well, in the US, it's really expensive to live. So why don't we just move to a country where we can live like a lot better for a couple thousand dollars a month, such as Thailand or Mexico or, or somewhere else, you know, because the US is expensive. So that was like another worst case scenario. Well, we just live on less and we move somewhere else where we can live really well on less. Heather is the wise one in the relationship. You've probably figured that out, honestly, <laughs> by listening to any number of our podcasts. I still have moments. And, and listen, I'm just being completely blunt here and honest. I still have moments where I get panic, even though we've gotten very close to triangle freedom. But there's still this like, what if everything goes wrong tomorrow? Right. And Heather always says, Trav, you say this to me. If everything goes wrong tomorrow, we know how much we have in savings. We could move to Thailand and we could live in Thailand for like two or three years and, and not have to, <laughs> you know, Thailand a thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. Like we could go and do that. And then I think, ah, I actually like to be in Thailand. So if that's worst case scenario, and I know not everyone could, and of course it would be different with kids, but we could still do it. But that really does help put it in perspective. Yeah, um, I mean, you don't have to live your same lifestyle here as you would right. in the U.S. And, and that's the thing, too, that, yes, be starting out on your own, becoming an entrepreneur, trying to live a location independent lifestyle. There is risk involved. But if you're willing to take on the risk, there can be a much greater reward. And you can also make sacrifices, which Trav and I have had to do in the past. And I don't like to sacrifice because I like to buy things that I want and I like nice things and all this stuff. But there are times in our life we're like, okay, well, we can't spend what we want to spend. So we're just going to have to cut back here so that we can make this work here. And it does take some conversations and it does take some budgeting and we're still trying to work on that and come up with a system that works for us. But you know, you can make a lot of things work if you just adjust a few things in your life. Yep. Uh, I did want to say the only thing I miss about the nine to five, and this was more in the beginning. So I said the very beginning, it was the stress of, of finances, um, was coworkers. Yeah. I, I love the people I worked with and that was a little difficult for me being an extrovert for sure because I was used to being around a lot of people and now I was not and I was working on my own. And so being more aware of that, I, I told you like be aware of what you'd want to do before you start to figure out your business. I didn't really do that. I just was like, oh, I'm going to do a blog and I liked right. writing, but I realized it was a very solitary pursuit pretty soon after a year and a half after then I decided to do a podcast that helped. And then of course, meeting people and starting location India and doing things like that really, really helped. But coworkers can be a tough one for sure when it comes to that, if you're used to being around people. So then find the supportive community that, that works there. And then our very last question, um, how do you keep up with friends and family when always on the move? And this is funny because it's actually one of our friends from college who posted this question on our Instagram. What's up, Owen? <laughs> Thanks for following. Thanks for your question, buddy. But, you know, that is true, especially for people like us who are extroverted and we really enjoy being around other people. So, of course, we want to keep in touch with our friends and our family because, you know, we went to the same college. We have a lot of college friends. We live in the same area that we went to college. So, you know, we had community. So for us, you know, when we were traveling, 
extensively and then we would come back to the Philadelphia area, we would just make sure we kind of reached out to people and we're like, hey, we're home for this amount of time. Let's all get together. So we would throw a party or we would go out to a restaurant together and just meet up with people. And it was kind of nice because sometimes you wouldn't see people anyway throughout the year. But whenever we were home, we kind of made it a point, hey, let's get together. So that was a nice way to be able to see people. And now that we've actually even just moved away from that area and a lot of our friends and family. Well, you know, we always tell people, come on down to North Carolina. We've got space. Let's hang out at yeah, the beach. I, and, you know, social media and Zoom and all that has, has certainly helped over the years. But what we realized when we moved away to Japan, that was the first big time we had ever been away. I remember coming home after our first year in Japan and saying to two of our best friends, we had all lived together before we before I moved. Like, oh, when was the last time you saw each other? And they're like, thinking like, wait, it was your going away party for Japan. And so what I realized is not that people don't get together, but that the things that you're missing when you're traveling or moving away or things like that are not to be um, diminished, but that a lot of times people end up not doing as much as you might think they're doing anyway. And so really it was cool for us because when we came home, it served, I think it was cool for our friends, it served as a reason to get together where they would see all um see everyone and, and see us and so we took that mantle upon ourselves because we like hosting like being extroverted that might not be how everyone likes but we took that mantle upon us like okay we're gonna plan stuff out and we're gonna make sure we get to see those people so um you know i think that it can be difficult but nowadays it's it really is easier than it has ever been. Um, I remember going to an internet cafe, one of our first times in Thailand, and this was in 2012, and we were away for Christmas. No, I think it was 2010 into 2011, actually. Oh, okay, 2010, yeah. We were away for Christmas. I remember having to find an internet cafe and getting on some, it was Skype, I guess, and like there was a picture of us in Thailand and my family, and uh, you know, things were a little harder to stay in touch then, but certainly now, now they're not. So um, yeah, so that that's how we, stay in touch. And um, I, I want to pull the curtain back a little bit on, on the podcast recording right now, because you might have heard it. Hopefully it was pretty seamless. But our little son, as we were recording, we, you asked a lot of questions about kids and how do you lead this <laughs> lifestyle with kids? Uh, we have our sister-in-law putting our youngest daughter down, but he was knocking on For the door. For a nap. Yeah, saying hello, 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 as we were doing a podcast. So we let him in the door. He's here sitting on, uh, on Heather's lap. Whit, do you want to say hi into the microphone? Hi. <laughs> and uh, and sometimes you just do what you, you gotta do. <laughs> so we're sitting here recording with him in here being quiet and being good. Hey, hey, um, wait, I have a question for you. Do you like traveling? Yes. What's your favorite country? Costa Rica. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So you just make do with what you do. And uh, and I think one of the best things about this lifestyle is you get to show another part of this life to your kids and, and to other people too, that it, it doesn't, it's not always this picture perfect thing. You just figure it out. And um, that's what we just did here with this podcast. So thank you guys for all your questions. Really, truly appreciate it. We have two more episodes coming out in this season. Uh, episode seven, episode eight. Those are our roundtable discussions where I get to interview some other people about what their journey was like to this lifestyle freedom. And don't forget, you'll hear it on the ads before and after the podcast if you're listening when this is live. But our Paradise Pack project is out from March 29th through April 4th, 2022. You can check that out, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash paradise. It is an incredible bundle sale of the best products to help you build an online lifestyle business so you can get to the triangle of freedom time location and financial freedom you can start on that journey it's available for seven days only check it out extra pack of peanuts.com slash paradise lightning struck in an open plain and we forgot this old city's name see your breath on window pane let's just talk Till it strikes again On my way through I saw you on my way through On my way through I saw you and I'll see you again someday. 
Beth, how many years until Wit kicks us out as the host of the EPOP podcast? Mm, what do we got? I give him seven more years. All right, it'll be 11 and a half. I think you could handle it. I definitely think so.